0: Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. So we're here today with Zev Ravine, uh, who has the namesake importing company, uh, Zev Ravine Selections, and has quite a substantial portfolio that is amassed in a fairly small amount of time. Zev, thanks so much for taking the time to meet with us. Thank Great you,
1: Levi. Uh, I appreciate you talking with me.
0: Zev, why don't we just take it from the top? Okay. Uh, some of your first experiences with wine, how you got into the trade, what made you think like, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to bring some stuff over from, from Europe. How did it all happen?
1: Um, well, I, I think... Uh I think that wine has sort of always been part of my life. My stepfather drank wine growing up. I remember, I remember collecting the, uh, the little bulls in the Conchi Toro bottles. Oh, okay. Sure. Do you know, yeah. I don't know if they still, yeah, do that. they do still they do. Still put those yeah, in. Yeah. The Sangra, Sangra bottle. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I guess I was sort of always around it. Um, my stepdad lived in Europe for a big portion of, uh, his life. So he had real wine culture and, um, and food culture as part of, uh, that was part of my upbringing.
0: And that's certainly where you're still based. I mean, you're a big man on the Brooklyn scene, you know, and I guess I'm a man of the Brooklyn scene. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I didn't get into wine in a professional capacity until, um, till college and after college, obviously not until then. Um, then when I was working in restaurants and, uh, kind of learning through, through the trade, uh, okay. through, through putting myself through college and, and after that through playing music and putting myself through music, uh, trying to earn a living. And so I, I did that working at restaurants, like I think a lot of people do. And so I got into it, uh, through that avenue, sort of just in a regular, uh, natural way. And then, um, I, I think I ended up taking the Andrew Bell course oh, at okay, one point. Sure many society. Yeah, yeah, and so th- that was an interesting introduction. I think it gave me a good base and uh, a place to start, and you know, a, a further understanding of, of at least kind of like the classics and and, and the way that all went. Um, and then I, and then I really got into it. I think you realize, uh, if you're in a restaurant and you work in a restaurant that there's a hierarchy in terms of not only what you can make, but, uh, also in terms of what's interesting. And if you learn more about wine, you have, you have the ability to be in a, a better position in a restaurant.
0: Sure. Just in terms of the ability to upsell or talk to people sure. or make the sale or. Yeah. So, you know, it was more of a financial thing, but you also liked wine.
1: Financial, but it also gives you interest in something that's, you know, more diverse in your workplace. You know what I mean? You're not just an order taker. You have like a an interaction with a client and you, you know, it, it gives you more concern over what they're doing. And I think they notice it. And I don't know, I liked doing it. hundred percent talking about wine. I was interested in it.
0: So, I mean, at a fairly young age, you have a, a pretty large import book. How did that all come about? I mean, what were the first steps into saying like, oh, I'm going to bring some stuff uh, over?
1: Um. Well, I I mean, I guess it's not that easy of a, of a thing. Um, so I, I moved to New York, uh, back in 2001. Um, and then I moved, uh, I, I went on a ski trip, um, to Park City, Utah. Okay. Um, in about 2005 and I really liked it there. And, uh, I ended up opening a small coffee shop as part Got of a bookstore and it turned into a wine bar. Um, and over the course of three years, we really grew it to the point where, because the book industry wasn't doing very well. So the wine bar kept getting bigger and the, portion right, of the book right. shop You're, kept getting smaller. There was like
0: one iPad uh, in the corner, right. Kindle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so we used to do a lot of things. It, it's a neat little, uh, but little town park city. But I mean, town the Utah city. market had to be
0: so much strange for liquor.
1: It, it it's a little strange. It's not as weird as as its reputation. As it's, it's made out to be. Yeah. So so Park City is where the Sundance Film Festival is. And sure. It's a ski town, so it's like very kind of like international place or whatever, especially during the winter. Um, and and there's it, it's a it's a control state okay. uh, like the way Canada or uh, Sweden or those places work. So it's. And, Seoul and there's there's a certain number of uh, states. In America, I think thirteen of them or something that are that are like that, where the government buys and resells the wine. Sure, like Pennsylvania, um, like Pennsylvania, right? So, uh, but but they actually have like a reasonably good buyer, and they have a reasonably good system of special ordering, so you can buy direct from importers. Is that in New true, York I and, didn't know that. Yeah, so you can buy, you know, they, they'll go pick up one case from any importer anywhere in the country and bring it to you to have. So a I mean,
0: if you put in the work, it can. So if you put in the work, you can, totally can
1: really fun. have a very diverse, very uh, unique. Arrangement in an otherwise really closed and conservative market. So I, I guess that's where I really grew and uh, spent a lot of time learning and, and doing it because I had my own place and it was, uh, you know, it was something that I got really passionate about. And after about three years of doing it, um, I, I was kind of bored living in the country. Living uh-huh. in, you know, I love to ski and um, it's nice to do that. You know, six months a year or whatever, but uh, eventually got a little bit old, and I wanted to move back to New York, and so I I started thinking up different uh, business plans, and so I was either going to open a restaurant or um, start the import company. Got it. And so in the end, I I raised some money through some of my clients at my wine bar, uh, who are still really dear friends of mine. Yeah, Um, and in two thousand eight, I went to Europe and. Found some wines. And what were the, uh,
0: some of the first wines you started bringing in?
1: Um, I started with some Rioja.
0: Got it. Actually, not such a big focus for you now, though, in terms of Spain.
1: No, 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 no. We 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 still work with the same with that Rioja domain, actually. Got it. Um, but yeah, right right now, I'd, I'd say we're we're mostly French.
0: And how many selections French, are in the book these days? Yeah, <sighs>
1: um, let's see. I mean, I think so. So. My company is not strictly an import company. Mm-hmm. We're an import company and we're a distribution company. And so as a distribution company, we buy from a couple of other importers Got it. Um, around the country. And then as an import company, right now we're importing about 30 or so different domains.
0: And I remember one of the big kind of changes was when you took on Frank Cornelis. And I feel like a lot of people... Uh, kind of put you on their radar uh, because he hadn't been well distributed yeah. or imported up to then. Was that kind of a, a change in terms yeah, of what sure. the portfolio went? Or? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that was the, yeah, that was definitely the first, that was the first known domain that we imported. Do you so, find
0: people kind of seeking you out on the customer side from? from
1: yeah, that? for sure. For sure. We, we sell a lot of that wine. Uh, so the, the, the producer in
0: Sicily, it's somewhat famous for his use of low sulfur or no sulfur.
1: Yeah, no sulfur, uh, added during the process. Um, but, but I think he's also famous for, uh, not just that, but I think he's also famous, uh, for the way that he works in that he works really naturally in the vineyards. He works, you know, in very high altitude vineyards, uh, on Mount Etna, which is a famously difficult place to work. Sure. Um, you know, he, he has a lot of eccentricities, um, and specificities about the way that he, uh, the way he does his viticulture and his vinification that are uh, that are really interesting, I think, to a lot of people, and that are different from the way a lot of other people work. And so, I, I don't think it's like it's strictly a sulfur thing. That he
0: like seems so far uh, into one side of the winemaking spectrum that it kind of um, maybe paints a picture uh, by association. Did you find that a lot of people started to associate with, with those kind of wines mm-hmm. after you brought in Cornelison?
1: <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, we furthered that, I guess, by bringing in a lot of other wines that are made without sulfur.
0: And were those kind of like people who knew Frank or that admired Frank and what he was doing, or was there some connection there or was it just totally random? Um, You
1: know, the, the it, it comes in, you know, I hate to use the term or even really talk about it, but it's it uh, comes from the... The side of the natural wine community, which is, which is a really big growing community, uh, in Europe and, and, and smaller in America, but, uh, in terms of Vignon, in terms of people that produce it, but, um, yeah, everybody kind of knows everybody. Got it. You know, I, I think that, uh, Frank Cornelis in, is, is even quite well known in France and there aren't many. Which isn't true of a lot of Italian wines, Which drinkers. isn't true of, yeah. Most, actually most Italian wines. So,
0: I mean, speaking of that difference, um, what are the differences between, say, the Paris wine scene and the New York mm-hmm. wine scene to you? Mm-hmm. What do you see as, as different? I know you travel frequently to Paris. I
1: know you Yeah, I spent a, a lot old. of time there. Um, but there's, there's a lot more, uh, there's this bar à vin or like a sure. bar à manger culture there that we uh-huh. don't have here really at all. Maybe, maybe with the exception of 10 bells. The 10 bells, sure. Um, and, and that, that model of a restaurant or wine bar, or whatever, is basically a very small uh, restaurant. And, and in, in most of the cases in, in France, these are not like wine bars the way that we perceive them in America, where in America we think of a wine bar as like a place that you would go get a, a beer, except you can get wine. Um, the bar avant thing is more like you go get a meal, I mean, it's a dinner place, and they have a lot of wine, and they focus on it. And and the avant culture in Paris has become one that's been based around natural wine uh, and the natural wine community. And why do you think that happened? I mean, what was the
0: connection there? Just lower price points or growers uh,
1: I, I that think, people knew? I, I, remember I, I, think early... it's a, I think it's a combination of things. I think, one, it comes from a culture of younger restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a, a big portion of the natural wine community is... Uh, of, of the vigneron the producers um, i don't know maybe that's not true that they're younger but um, it, it's a new it's a newer movement it's, it's something it. so that came young. from the 80s it's something that came from the 90s it's something that the younger people that are opening restaurants could say like this is ours you know what I mean this Got is it. this yeah. is a movement that relates to my time and, and I think also in France j- just like in america the the culture the supermarket culture the the big farming culture has become really ubiquitous and there's a there's a kickback against it. And I, and I think that a lot of the, the energy behind the people that open those types of restaurants in Paris really want to talk about being connected to the farmer, really want to talk about, you know, where the, the products come from, um, both the food and the wine. And, and I think the natural wine movement, um, also includes and, and is an integral part of it is the idea of being small, is the idea of, of not making as much wine as you can sell. Okay. But making as much wine as you can make the way you want to make it. And, and I think that that's like, a, uh, for me, that's one of the big fundamental differences between, you know, uh, commercial or traditionally made wine and, and naturally made or natural wine, um, quote unquote is, is that idea of, you know, manning a farm the way that you can handle it within like the, the few people that you think are included in it. I, th- I think there's a size restriction, um, when you can't work the way that, uh, you know, the, the way that you really want to. So here in the
0: States, I mean, you see a fair amount of people embracing uh, what what has come to be called uh, natural wine or low sulfur wine or less interventionist methods of, of winemaking. Um, but it, that seems to embrace a range of uh, food styles at those respective restaurants and sometimes wine shops. What is it that people are eating with these kinds of wines in Paris. What it, What is the whole picture? Is it as diverse? Are people using uh, Asian flavors with these kinds of wines? Or is it really a little bit more classical? You've been there. You tell me. What, are, what do people usually eat with these kinds of wines?
1: I, I guess it's varied, but um, I think a big part of the theme is generally either very directly or takes on traditional French food. It, it's almost... More traditional. Got it. So the um, food actually is kind of. The food is really more... like, the food in general is really rustic and classic. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes from rustic and classic or uh, or creative, but really ingredients based. Got it. Really so A little like, bit, like bit there's, more there's, forager, a little bit. Yeah, there's there's a simplicity to it. And you know, there's definitely places like Chateaubriand, some other places that um, Septime, um, Saturn that are a little bit more experimental with the way that they do presentation. Um, you know, they'll incorporate things like foams and ideas like that. But the, but the basics of the themes are, are rooted in classical French. somewhat
0: elemental.
1: Yeah, very much so. And do you find the wines work well with those kinds of foods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think they're super, I think it's great. I, I think that's kind of the idea behind the wine, you know, I think, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see lots of like themes on, on it's only grapes. Mm -hmm. kind of thing in terms of what the wine is um and so i I think that's a nice way to describe it is that you know it's just grape juice it's it's not
0: it seems to be often
1: uh wines or grape juice
0: uh that is drinkable a little bit younger sometimes is that somewhat playing out as a theme that a lot of these wines are accessible in terms of tannins or structure at somewhat of a younger age or would you i
1: I think that that's that's too uh narrow too broad Yeah, I think it's, or yeah, it's too broad. I, I I think that there's, they, they definitely have, um, a tendency and, and that community really likes the vin de soif, the wine for thirst, like young, fresh, low alcohol, light style. Um, but there's lots of wines made in the natural wine community that are, are built for aging. You know, I, I think Frank Cornelissen is somebody that has interest in making wine like that. You know, I, I consider Thierry Allemand as somebody that's, really a big part of that community. Absolutely. You know, Marcel Lapierre. Maybe not think.
0: necessarily associated with it, like Frank or like Marcel. No, no,
1: no. But I think that... Um,
0: in the popular I think he
1: considers himself as really a part of it. Which is really probably the only thing
0: that matters. But I yeah. mean, I, I think a lot of people who embrace Aleman might not embrace Frank. Is that Does, fair to for say? For sure.
1: For sure. But I, I think a lot of people that embrace, you know, Lapierre don't embrace Frank. And I think a lot of people that embrace Frank don't embrace Lapierre. I mean, sure. I, I know people in both directions. So...
0: Let me ask you a little bit as an importer, I mean, has the reception been the same in America as it has been in Europe for some of these wines or have there been challenges? And if there have been challenges, how have you responded and who have been some of your role models in doing that? Are there other importers that you've looked back, you know, and said like, hey, he had a great way of outreach that he built a market for something that was maybe less well
1: understood? Sure. I mean, the easy answer is, you know, Joe Dresner. Sure. I and, mean, you know, th- there's no doubt, there's no question about it that I don't exist. But you seem so different that, than
0: Joe. I mean, did. obviously he trailblazed, but in a way that was um, maybe a little more confrontational, maybe yeah. a little bit more jokey.
1: My, my perspective on the whole thing, um, I, I think people really <clears throat> overblow the significance and the importance of the importer. Is that um, true? So in, in my it's opinion. It's almost
0: kind of like a passive stance then. It's well, in, so much- in
1: my opinion, I mean, I, I really think the two most important people in the exchange is the vigneron and the uh-huh. consumer. Sure. right. The, the And you'd like to see more of those connections. <laughs> I'd like to see more of those connections and less of the importer and less of the sommelier and less of the... But that's a really humble thing to the say as an importer and-, and often not exactly what you hear.
0: So how did you come sure. about to that kind of framework of thinking about it?
1: I, I guess for me, it's like the... It's it's what interests me about natural wine. It's the humanity of it, humanity. right? I mean, honestly, I think the the wine's a pretty crazy thing. I mean, there there aren't a lot of products where there's a hundred thousand different labels produced every mm-hmm. year, or however many there are in wine. I mean, there's a bunch, um, and and I think the reason that people have a willingness to entertain all these different labels and all these different styles and all these different things instead of having red wine flavor, white wine flavor, sparkling wine flavor, is because it has somebody's name on it, it has you know, a bottle has like a, a piece of somebody's philosophy. It has like a sense of their humanity that, that's attached to the bottle. It says it right on the label. You sure. know, in, in many titans, in most cases, it says the person's name on it. And so I, I think the willingness to consume these wines is is owned by the consumer. And I think that the willingness to express themselves is owned by the, the vineyard And I think that everybody else in between is, you know, some semblance of noise. And so I, I think that there's certainly, you know, an importer and a sommelier and a, Kev East, a a wine shop owner, or whatever um, has their, you know, their portfolio expresses to some degree, you know, their philosophies and the way that they like things, but, but really the were enabled by the willingness of the consumer to buy and the the determination of the vineyard to produce.
0: And you, have you met with success with that philosophy? I mean, are people willing to make that leap with you in a way that is allowing you to add more wines and bring more things? Yeah. The market? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we, we started our company with not with like not enough money to start it mm-hmm. and common New York phenomenon. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now we're four years into it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, nine new domains coming on this year. And uh, did you kind of start in the, I don't know,
0: I'd say tail end of the financial crisis. I mean, we a started way, right in the middle that, of it. Oh, wait, what was that like? I mean, did you have a lot of, I think it's a good or, place to start. Right? It's a good place to start. Cause if you can survive, then you can survive anywhere.
1: Well, and, and not to mention, I didn't have, You know, what's difficult in a financial crisis is if you, if you have a company that you've built up infrastructure that you need to support, support it. I didn't have any of that. I just, uh, I was able to start on a fairly shoestring, maybe because some of the other people were pulling back. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I had the total freedom to start, uh, how I, you know, and build it around an environment that existed. It, It wasn't, you know, I didn't have to. Support anything.
0: So, if you are going to recommend to a young importer to start their own business, that maybe after the pyramid scheme collapses, yeah, it would be a good I time. I think that's so a good to jump on it. Yeah,
1: yeah, because then you don't have like you know you don't have a warehouse full of like. 200% oak Malbec. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's but like and the customer. $480 the a case. It's and like, nice
0: not to have a lot of inventory.
1: Yeah. Of really expensive stuff that people don't want to buy anymore. Do you find that small
0: scale importing, um, it's kind of the name of the game for you in terms of not holding on to too much inventory and bringing in small amounts or are you trying to do some library? Yeah, no, we,
1: we hold on to inventory. You do. Yeah. I, um, For partially for the sake of, of library, um, but also for the sake of the, the evolution of wine and when they're tasting best. And, um, you know, we, we, I I think, uh, there's, so, so obviously we've been talking about this, we work with a lot of wines without sulfur. I, I think a lot of those wines, um, people think will go bad relatively quickly. However, in my experience, um, a lot of the wines that will have flaws, uh, a lot of those flaws will fade with a certain amount of time. Sure. And if okay. the wine is built to, with enough, you know, power to last a fair amount of time, then it can outlast a couple of the, the flaws that are common in natural wines.
0: So say you get this wine into your hands, you as a consumer. Yeah. Uh, what is it that then you should do to have that happen? Uh, should you store it in a certain way? Should you serve it in a certain way? Yeah, I mean, you,
1: you definitely want to store it cool, but I, I think people also will have a tendency to to overdo it. You know, I, I mean, what do I, you mean by that exactly? I'm asking. Yeah, I, I and you know, this is just my opinion. Uh-huh. You know, everybody should have, you know, do whatever they want, but. Um, you know, I think the, the obsession with 55 degrees and like exact temperature for long Uh periods of time is, uh, I mean, that's not the way when you taste wine from a cellar in France, you know, in, from the domain, Uh there's been fluctuation in that cellar over a period of time. Um, albeit a small one and it stays relatively cool the whole time. Um, but it's normally it's in a a natural place, a cave, you know what I mean? Something like that. So there's some level. So there's some fluctuation in it. I mean. Um, yeah, I think that that's, yeah, I think in terms of storage, people, uh, people have a tendency to really build something that's going to be very exact. Whereas if you have somewhere in your place, that's just a little cooler than other places, maybe stick it there. I mean, it's tough if you live in New York city, you know, to, to find a space, to find a space because your whole apartment roasts in the summer and is, and, and often roasts in the winter. Sure. I mean, this year was a, a warm winter and they didn't change the heating program in right. my building. So yeah, it was just needed. it was just on fire the whole time. <laughs> so it was really hard um, in, in my place to, you know, all my wine in there. I had a room that I just kept the window a certain amount open. Yeah, it's got to be day. a common
0: New York yeah. phenomenon, like yeah.
1: cracking the window. Yeah.
0: Um, so how do you go about, you know, you've talked a little bit about being like more of a passive conduit for the producer to the consumer. How do you go about? picking or finding or being introduced to some of the growers that you want to work with?
1: There's a lot of different ways. Um, I, I think that the most common one for me at this point is one winemaker to another, mm-hmm. you know, one winemaker will say, Hey, I have this guy. In that makes so it's really, really personal like relationships, yeah.
0: especially when you're dealing with these kind of somewhat smaller scale yeah.
1: producers. Yeah. I, I think, you know, my first couple of wines, I, I tasted at a, uh, my first couple of French wines, I tasted at a wine bar in Paris and I called them up, you know, off of the oftentimes in natural wine, they put the phone number on the label, which mm-hmm. is sort of a weird thing. Um, but it's cool. You call them up and, you know, you found an acceptance when they, when you called. Yeah. Them, yeah. They didn't put you off. They wanted to talk no, to you. No, no. And, no, and here we are today. They're super nice. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're generally like people that are really want to like, you know, even if they said, Oh, I have an importer. They'd say, come over, taste some wine, you know, we'll, we'll have some food. We will we'll we'll, we'll chill. So it's like. Yeah, no, I, I find I find them to be incredibly nice. And, a lot of times people talk about, with natural wine, they talk about the community.
0: Yeah. Do you really feel that aspect of yeah, for sure. interaction between for the community? Sure. They even do lots of, of things together. Borders. They do lots of
1: tastings together and things like that. That's mm-hmm. another way to find wine. Um, I I, don't, I haven't really found much wine at tastings, but, you know, La Dibouté. Mm-hmm, together, which is like, quite famous. A lot of people go to that every yeah, year. Yeah, but I, I always go, and I go to a lot of them, but um, not so much to, to find new wine, but oftentimes just to... To see, to, the people. to see the people we work with, to see the other people whose wines I like that I that other people work with, mm-hmm. to uh, you know to taste, to talk, to have fun, and then yeah. So you
0: work with Frank, and then you work with Robino, who's kind of yeah. a character. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of these these people who are well known in their respective milieus, but maybe a little less well known here? I mean, who are some of these people that you're representing? Who is Brino? Who is Robino?
1: Um. So Robineau is a guy in, uh, in the Loire Valley, in, in Cote Coteau de Loire. And he makes Maybe not the most
0: famous appellation. Not the, world. the most famous appellation. Rio Severin did say every century it produced the finest wine in the world, I
1: think. There you go. Um, so yeah. So he uh so he makes wine. He makes wine from Pinot Donise, which is not a very well-known variety, sure. but a very delicious one. Um, and Chenin Blanc, which is much more known, obviously. Um, and he... He farms uh six and a half hectares of vineyards and he, he makes wine without sulfur. So really half, not that
0: Six and a half hectares uh, is about twenty acres. Yeah. twenty twenty two and a half, Two and a half or
1: something like that. Um so no, less than that, right? So, 15, so it'll be sixteen. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, my math, you know. That's right. why I got one <laughs> um whatever. It's not very big. Um and he makes he makes a billion different wines. Um, it's sort of his thing. He, he makes a lot of stuff in old barrels and he, he kind of makes them barrel by barrel. And, um, it's a real pleasure to taste with him because, uh, he has so many barrels and it's, you know, it's a good four or five hour experience because, um, he really wants you to taste, you know, here's the same wine from seven different barrels. You know, you see how they all taste different and, and and he'll often bottle them differently. And, um, and, and he also makes a lot of sparkling wine, which he's famous for, uh, in the pet net style, Petion naturel. Style, which sure. So a little bit
0: frizzante, and like fully filter, fully
1: frizzante. I mean, fully sparkling. That's it, a big portion of his production that he does with all of his younger vines. Got um, it. He makes them into, you know, single fermentation, but uh, the pressured part is in bottle, and he disgorges them all by hand and and refills them just with the other bottles with no sort of dosage. So it's very kind of low know, tech. Low tech. Yeah. Definitely low tech. Yeah. The way he works is is for sure low tech. Um, is he somewhat of a guiding light in the Paris scene? Are
0: a lot of people looking to what he has to say? Or? Um, he, the, he's
1: controversial figure. A controversial. He,
0: he's, yeah. He, he's a name that a lot of people seem to know.
1: He is. He is. A lot of people really dislike him. Uh huh. Because he's uh, he's really loud and uh, he's really outspoken. He was one of the founding people in Le Rouge et Le Blanc. The sure, the, the wine magazine, the wine ma- magazine, which I think has
0: led a lot of people to a lot of wine. I mean, yeah, yeah. For me, about- for
1: me, it's the best publication produced on wine in, that I've ever read. I so mean, only in French, uh, unfortunately. It's in Italian now. Oh, okay. Actually, I was, okay, I actually, yeah, I was yeah. just talking to, yeah, they, they made a whole, like, they did, you know, all of, like, two years of it, they translated into Italian. I was just talking to the guy of it that makes it a couple of days ago, because oh, I was yeah? just in, in France, and he was saying, you know, he'd have to sell a thousand copies Per issue, I think they make you know quarterly. It's a quarterly yeah, magazine. Sure. Um, they have to do a thousand copies per quarter to justify the cost of translating it into English. So that's not. If you know happen. some people, yeah, yeah, right. Um, it would be great Clone to have yourself, it. and yeah. we'll all go ask for it. Yeah. So he he was, but he, it seems he, like he has Impor's a real willingness to, to do it. And,
0: it seems like a lot of the people who are heavily involved in finding new producers on the French scene read yeah. it religiously.
1: But it's great. It's you know it's it's uh it's superhuman you know what i mean like the, mm-hmm. there's it tells not, the story of the guy it really tells the story of a guy you know or a, a girl or of a domain or of a or of a concept i mean it, there's but uh, if we wanted to
0: look for an English resource like that, I mean, maybe wine terroirs from Bert Sels would come. It's to amazing. Mind. Oh, that guy's incredible. And the photography and the the, the
1: photography amazing. The stories he writes are are thorough and well done. He writes with like he really writes about the person, not he he doesn't write with so much of a slant. Wine terroirs is an amazing, a really really amazing. And website. something you don't
0: necessarily have to subscribe to. You no, just you just like, go, go on the right old on internet there.
1: and check it out. I mean. Yeah, he, are and, some of your producers profiled in Yeah, wine tower wars? yeah. There's a Jean Pierre page. There is a Robino page. So yeah, you can
0: see the man in the flesh.
1: You can see the man in the flesh. There's a Hirotaki Uka.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, page working he, in a Loire. No, that, no, no, he's Cornas. I always am
1: he worked with uh, Thierry Almond for a long time, and he makes some Ardèche wines and some Cornas wines. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so yeah, he's a really interesting dude. That uh, that he yeah, I, Wine Tower wars does a lot of our producers. I don't, I don't really, I can't tell you all of them,
0: but sure. Uh, what's what's going on next for you i mean what's happening in the next year with what you want to see what's going to happen i don't know yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you'll still be doing this
1: and yeah, no, yeah i mean it seems like i'll still be doing it's this. it's something you enjoy clearly yeah i don't think i can't imagine anything else i'll ever do i mean and it really sounds it's like a weird to thing point. to say but like I don't know, it's so great. It's working. <laughs> you know, out. I spend yeah, I love it. I love what's it. the reception been on a customer base? I mean,
0: are there certain people great. who are really I gravitating? Still
1: of, I sell out of I mean, we sell out of all the wine all the time. You do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, where's it going? Is it mostly are you seeing a strong Brooklyn market? Are you seeing a strong lower Manhattan
1: market? It's everywhere. We we so Here's something about our company. We, we do, we sell, our distribution company sells here in New York City and, and a little bit in Westchester. Um, but we also sell to distributors all over the country. So we sell to distributors in California, Washington, Oregon, uh, Utah, Idaho, Chicago, um, Boston, Connecticut, Maine, wow. North Carolina. I didn't realize it was that broad. Virginia, uh, Maryland, DC. Yeah. So we, we sell all over the place. So we sell to distributors in, you know, big markets. Progressive markets, conservative markets, small markets. What's that like? I mean, what are the headaches involved with dealing with all those regulations? Do you um, find it difficult? You know, I, I work with a company that helps with a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, called Fruit of the Vines. They're great. Oh, sure. And they, uh, yeah, so they basically, they're a compliance company. And oh, and they just kind of make it happen for each company, and they yeah. So they maybe they, a
0: good name to know if you're a really good, young importer.
1: Yeah, they're they're real professionals in terms of uh, how to deal with all that stuff, and they're an office full of people that do it. So, um, and and there's a couple of other companies. Teal Entity that does that. There's one called USA Wine Imports. M. Um, H. W. Does it? There, there's a bunch of companies that uh, they're really the importers. You know, they they do they do all of that. So, um, yeah, so they're great. And uh, it really helps me be able to be more of kind of like a small company because I, I outsource. So I don't own my own warehouse. We we rented a place called uh, Fond du Lac in, uh, in New Jersey, which a lot of... So you're a g- garage East
0: importer in a way. It's guess, like you yeah. and a phone and...
1: Yeah. We have, we have a couple of salespeople mm-hmm. uh, here in New York, but it's two salespeople in New York. Um, my my really dear friend, Justin Cherno uh, He's is, a nice guy. He's great dude. And he's he's been with me basically since the beginning, helping develop the portfolio, um, uh, helping find producers, you know, it's great to have somebody to really like taste wine with that, you know, different, but has a similar kind of vibe. And um, so he's been a really big part uh,
0: So, I mean, I guess the message would be that if you're a younger person and you want to start up an import company. Yeah, go buy some wine. It's very possible.
1: Yeah, just go buy some wine. It's super simple.
0: I mean, um, but there maybe has to be some language facility and some trips to Europe involved. Yeah. Yeah. But once you get beyond that, like everything else can kind of fall into place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's good to learn some languages. Gotcha. Um, Definitely. I mean, I, I don't think you could do it. Quite. It, you, maybe you could do it without it. There, there's definitely a lot of people and a lot of in your own, a lot of producers that speak English, but they generally, you know, it's harder for them and, and there's a lot of them that don't. So, uh, you're going to want to learn French if you want to import French wine. So, I mean, you've been doing this for four years. Have you seen the scene change
0: at all in the New York market? Have you seen? Uh, more yeah, it changes, less-
1: it changes. You know, a, a scene change can be as, as small as one person having a somewhat influential place. You know, and I uh, feel
0: like with the passing of Joe, things have changed a little bit. You know, Joe Dresner, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean,
1: for sure, things have changed. Um, but, you know, th- that said, L- you know, LDM, that company is very uh, strong, is still an amazing company yeah. run by great very capable people. Yeah. With great palates and, uh, with great palates you know, and great vision and they're still doing, you know, they're still doing great work. So I, I don't think,
0: uh, well, in terms of what you say, well, one person can really make a change in the market. I, f- I felt like Joe really, you know, got out there a little bit without his voice. It's, it's a little bit of a different game. Do you feel the same way? Or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Joe's voice is really powerful. There's no doubt about it. I, I don't think like we'll ever have another, you know, person that's quite like him. Um, and, and there's no doubt that, you know, like I said before, I wouldn't do what I am doing if it wasn't for the things that he did. Um, but, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be an importer that has an influential voice. You know, it doesn't. It sure. Really, it could really be doesn't.
0: a sommelier. It could be a retailer. It could be It could, be could be be David Lilly.
1: could be, yeah. Yeah. It, it could be a vigneron that comes and talks a lot. It could be, you know, it could be a writer. It could be, it could be any number of people. It's for sure, right now in the natural wine community, I don't feel like there's somebody that you know uh, that is like really guiding it in any in any way. Maybe the way but it's, it's almost like there's it. no desire to have that person, right? I, I think it's that's kind fine. of loosen it. I don't think we design. I don't think we necessarily need it. I I, I think it's like uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really great thing that just sort of happens. Even in wine in general, it feels like there's
0: less. Like everyone refers to this one person guiding light, just in general, it seems like we've m- kind of moved away from that in all facets of wine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, compared to how it was in, say, the mid '90s. Sure, whatever, you
1: know. sure. And I think the role of the importer then was was more powerful. You, know? you do. Yeah, I do.
0: How does that change? I mean, what do you what have you seen as well?
1: I think there's more small importers. Got it. So, so that that definitely takes away from like the the. Omnipotence of of a you know singular guy who defines a style. And do you um, think
0: as a result, we've seen a lot more kind of like lesser known appellations on shelves because of all the sure. small importers kind of circling yeah. things down?
1: Right. Because if you're a small importer, what do you do? You niche. You know, you have to create space for yourself in the market. So you you do that by having something that's different than what other people do. And so people do that in a lot of different ways. People you know, I see a lot of importers trying to have weird grapes or weird appellations, or you know, people trying to do. What would you say to them? Sure. I mean, do
0: you think it's? Um, I mean, we see this too in a some sommelier world, where, where maybe people are accused of having weird things just to stand out. From the yeah, crowd. I think
1: it's. I think it's lame. I mean, uh huh. I mean, whatever, you do whatever you want. I don't care. But I, I mean, I, I don't particularly want to drink a, a wine because it comes from a grape that I've never heard of. Never heard of. So I it's mean, not
0: it, just like freakish value. You want? Yeah, like, real, I want something that really tastes real good. Deal. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, I want something that tastes. But do you find uh, like there's sometimes
0: and, a, a difference in what people will say tastes good? I mean,
1: yeah, of course, of course, and there's different tolerances for different styles of things. You know, basic things. So some people have much, much higher tolerance for alcohol and wine than I do. I, I really don't uh-huh. like alcoholic wines, um, in general. You know, I certainly don't want. Like and it, that
0: and you're saying alcoholic.
1: it's a personal thing. Yeah, it's a personal but thing. But how That's you funny. react to the, the, beverage. the beauty of wine? You know, there's a lot of different pilots. Like I say, there's a lot of different types of consumers. There's a lot of different types of vineyard, different types of producers. So Um, to overgeneralize, you know, you
0: have a wide, wide range of products under your umbrella, but why would someone try the wines that you're bringing in? I mean, what are some of the things you would say about them to
1: people? um, Well, I'd say, I'd say that the, the wines that we're importing are, um, are really distinctive and unique and there aren't a lot, if any wines that taste like the ones that they produce. And, and they're, uh, they're enjoyable people to, to drink their wines uh, first because they're really delicious. And secondly, because, um, they're really diverse and they really change. You know, it's fun to open the same bottle in two different periods in a year and find them taste, you know, very different and delicious both times. And it's fun to taste vintage to vintage when the wines vary considerably, which is the case with all of our producers because of the the nature of the way they work. Um, and for me, that's an interesting way to follow somebody's, uh, somebody's journey in the farm or whatever. You know, in the the vines.
0: So you're saying that like, it's not always consistent from year to year because they're really reflecting that place and that time and that harvest.
1: Yeah. And not just that harvest, but that fermentation season. People really, uh, people don't, people don't talk enough about how, you know, if if you're going to work. So, you know, a lot of people in the natural wine community, uh, choose not to work with temperature control during fermentation. Is that true? Yeah. So not stainless steel. Uh, or stainless steel that's not not temperature control. not temperature control,
0: but which the, is you know a reversal of a lot of winemaking technique of sure, sure, the sure. last previous twenty years. 30 oh, years, I
1: mean, I mean, if you, years. you know, if if a professor at Davis or you know or the, or the big schools in France walked into, you know, walked into. Frank Cornelison's place, they'd lose their mind. He ferments outside, outside in the fiberglass, in, in fiberglass, and ambient. And what are temperature. some of the
0: reasons why someone would do that?
1: Well, I mean, everybody's got their own reasons for things. Frank says that you never know about the air inside of a winery because mm-hmm. of all the the things that microbes. end up floating, the microbes and things. But the air outside is pure. You know, it's, it's, and it's got the, the variances of yeast that are in the air, that are in the community, that are in the, the farm area that he's in. Um, and, and also he wants to express a period of time and, and part of that comes from the, the temperature and what's going on in in the, in the winter season. So. So, you know, everybody, like I say, I mean, there's part of the interest in, I think, tasting a lot of the wines that we that we work with and a lot of the people in the natural wine community is that there's lots of little eccentricities about the way that these people work. So it's
0: complicated, is is often the case. It's
1: complicated. Like, there's no one answer for no it because answer. there's a lot of different vignerons that have lots of different terroirs, uh, mm-hmm. both in their cellars and in the vineyards. And they adapt to it and work to it. Uh, in the way that they can make the wine that they think is most expressive or that is the style that they like the most.
0: You know, you work with Frank pretty closely and you talk to him often. It seems like his own style has changed somewhat. Dramatically. I mean, you know, over the course of a sure. few vintages that he's making wine, which hasn't been forever and ever. Yeah. I mean, how would you characterize the differences if somebody didn't know a lot about Frank? There's not so much information. they yeah. to get rid
1: you well, know. Well, um, just to quote Frank, Um, You know, he says at at first he wanted to basically squeeze wine out of stone, Uh um, out of, out of lava, out of, uh, you know, the the volcanic soils. Yeah. Um, And so the idea was to make really aggressive, really terroir driven wines. And I think that his, uh, his perspectives have changed a lot over the years. One, he makes wines like Contadino and Susucaro, which are the rosé and the light red wine that he really doesn't perceive as, uh, so much as terroir wines as he does as really delicious, like pleasurable wines.
0: And a lot of people really like those wines and respond to them, but maybe that wasn't yeah. part of the original vision. Um, but it seems like sometimes people respond to those more. Maybe-
1: sure. Sure, sure. I, I think that, I mean, I think that they are like real pleasurable wines i find them to be like really fun to drink i don't think just like, in terms of the nature of the fruit just in terms of the nature of the fruit the the way the body is like the way the little prickle of you know of co2 is like the the whole the like the just the intrigue of them they taste really really interesting you know you so, really want to get your nose in it again um what what do you see happening i
0: mean we know there's no one voice but you're so much closer to the scene in paris and the natural wine community what do you think it's going to be in five years? I mean, what are some of the trends that you see coming up now that will probably play out? Well, I don't see it slowing because uh, some it. people do, and but you're you're positive really? I, about I, I,
1: it. I'm asking. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you look at yeah. There's a new natural wine bar opening in Paris like it seems like every day. Every day. Yeah. So it
0: really is vibrant.
1: Yeah, it's a growing it's a growing category here, or at least well. I don't know. I don't do any like sort of research. I know that more people ask me for wines now than they did six months ago. We're selling more. Yeah, right. I mean, I as much I I couldn't. I can't buy enough. You
0: know, is that true? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, because you know, I buy
1: nature of the small scale. Like I, I only want to work with certain types of people. We run out. We run out. Normally, we get a wine and we sell it in you know three four weeks.
0: But are there certain things that you see coming up stylistically that more people are embracing? You think, boy, that's going to really.
1: You know, I, I think, I think there's, I think there was, there are a couple of like phases of natural wine producers. Um, I think one of them that might be moving away a little bit is like the zero sulfur extremists. Uh huh. I think there's a, a little bit of a pullback from certain people. Um, like the youngest generation of the newer people that are into it that are like, look, we really want to diverse yeast environment for fermentations. We really want to have, you know, not add any other things to it, but so two, at, two milligrams of sulfur at, at bottling bottom is something that like, you know, will stabilize the wines a little bit. And, and if the wines, you know, really stable and came through nice, we don't have to add the sulfur. That's fine. Um, I think the, the like the extremist, you know, the the Franks, the Robino's, the Jean-Marc Brigno's, the people like that who just really don't want to use it at all and are willing to have wines that are, you know, uh, a little bit more varied um, as a result of it, it, it. There's still lots of those people out there. And, and I really love those types of wines. I mean, for me. And sometimes they kind of catch the most attention
0: either one way or the other. But sure. Certainly their names get bandied about.
1: Yeah, they do. And, and, you know, because they're extremists, because they're they're like on the far end of the spectrum. For me, drinking wine, um, I like those wines the best. So let's talk about that. Okay, you go, you meet
0: a new grower, he lines up six wines. I mean, are you looking for, um, what are you, I mean, how do you say, okay, I'm going to take on this whole portfolio? Because it's not
1: just one wine usually you're taking on. You yeah, no, on I'll everything. never do that. I never do that. I never, I'll never buy like the cheapest wine or the easiest to sell wine only. I I think that that's a bad way to buy wine. So you want to support the whole breadth of what they're doing. You're going into a relationship with somebody. Which isn't
0: always the case. I mean, with other importers, I mean, sometimes people. I don't know how they work, but when,
1: when you go into a domain and they show you a bunch of different wines, I mean, you know, they have, they have their heart in each of them. Um, and I'm not saying I don't always buy every single wine. Um, but I'll, I'll normally buy the wine that is intended to be the least expensive and easiest to sell. Every domain makes a wine like that. Sure. And then, you know, domains normally make a couple of more expensive wines that are, you know, they feel are more expressive and more attached to, you know, more terroir driven wines. And so I'm always sure to, to buy a mix that is in relation to their production. So if they, if they, yeah produce 70% of the cheaper thing and then 30% of the other, I I buy somewhat similar to that ratio.
0: It seems like with natural wine in general, there is more emphasis on value for money than we saw previously with kind of like the luxury marketing uh, wine phenomenon. Do you find people are really, I mean, sometimes it seems like natural wine kind of translates to less expensive. Is that true? (sighs)
1: Well, I mean, it's a combination, right? I mean, it's it's more expensive than, natural wine is more expensive than uh, commercially made wine. Like industrial Like industrial stuff. That we might see right? in the supermarket. I mean, you, you just, you can't find natural wine, like really true natural wine for under $15. Got it. it Maybe just here and again, but it's pretty rare. Um, but you can find a lot of it between 15 and 30 Got it. And you can find really interesting, really wonderful and wine. And you're talking
0: about retail prices. Yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry about
1: that. Uh, yeah, retail prices between 15 and $30. You can find really spectacular, expressive, uh, natural wines in that range. Um, which is fairly low. I mean, when I think, in the era, for me, of I
0: think it's very low. Hundreds of dollars. Yeah. For me, a
1: $25 of bottle of wine is still expensive. So, yeah. you know, so yeah, I mean, but the, but, but that's another thing that attracted me to it. Um, as a consumer and as somebody that drinks a lot of wine is, you know, I can go and, Buy really interesting, really wonderful to drink bottle to drink and splurge at twenty five bucks. Whereas as you, you know, if you you know, I care about Burgundy. You know, I like Burgundy. I had real interest in Burgundy. I think at one point I, I don't have so much anymore because I will say I just can't afford it. Uh uh-huh. And and I don't work in a place where I get to taste it free all open, the time. Yeah. It's just open all the time. So I mean, you know, I the, you, you get you get. Village Burgundy from Mediocre Producers at $25. Whereas for $25, you get some of the most interesting and wonderful natural wine produced. So, and you see
0: that as something that's really appealing about the category. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's great. Uh, and is there a culture clash? I mean, sometimes it seems like... Yeah, for sure there's a culture clash, but I think it's a little overblown. A little overblown. I think when you really talk to anybody about it on any side of it, they say like, you know... I, I mean, that's not true. Maybe yeah, that's not true. Some, some people really hate natural wine. Part, part, part of the difficult, difficulty of it is the phrase natural wine. You know, it, it implies that the other wines are not natural. Uh huh. And a lot of people are offended by that idea. I'm surprised
0: that, that people don't embrace supernatural though. Supernatural. I mean, you know, there were super Tuscans and, you know, right. super tends to, you yeah. know, all American
1: hero and. Yeah. I think people do say it. <laughs> I think people say supernatural. 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 Yeah. No. Um, yeah. And now, and yeah, there's there's conflict, but I don't really care. Uh-huh. You know, I, I buy the wines I love to drink. I buy the wines people that I care about and I like, and I sell them to the people that I like and I care about. And, and it's if you don't like it, like, like, you know, Right, well, you can you know, do yourself, something else care. that you want. Right, right, right. You so, know, yeah, do you, the thing that you like to do. Right. I won't bother you.
0: Yeah, and it seems like you won't, because you, you don't seem like the confrontational type. There are a few in the, people, both sides. People the confront debate, with, but...
1: get confrontational with me all the time. Uh-huh. And, I'm, and how do you react to I'm that? And I'm very, like... Capable of supporting what I do right. by by facts and you know by the by the nature of what I do, I'm I'm happy to explain how the people work, I'm happy to explain the risks uh, and the benefits of buying the wines that we sell, um, and I'm happy to support it. You know, if if a restaurant turns back a bottle because a customer didn't like it, I, I replace it. You do every time, but I'll I'll say it's happened. I've had four bottles returned to me.
0: Well, one of year's that's not bad. Yeah, so. What has surprised you in a business? I mean, have there been things that really took you by surprise that you were like, huh, I just wasn't expecting that to happen or I wasn't expecting that encounter? Or what's
1: what were you thinking that happened? Um, I don't know. I guess I get a little bit surprised every day, but I, I'm surprised. Uh, I guess I'm surprised how open people are.
0: You are yeah. at the reception you've gotten. Yeah. I am a little too. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're out on, on a certain edge or ledge sure. or place that's Finge pretty distinct. In it, and here it's, you know, been pretty successful. Yeah. For
1: fundamentally, you. like, you know, they taste delicious. Uh-huh. You know, it's hard to, you know, when you confront people with that fact. It's hard to get away from the... Yeah, a lot of people have a hard time recognizing it as wine sometimes because they're so accustomed to a certain type of wine and it really tastes distinctly different. And so, How would you go about explaining those differences? I find people are like, boy, the smells of this. I've never smelled a wine
0: like this before. Like if you're talking about someone like Brino's wines. Yeah. Um, What would you say?
1: What do you you say to those people? Well, (laughs) I mean, a lot of different things. I... Sorry, a lot of different things. Um I guess I guess one of the things um that I try but first off, a lot of those smells that you'll smell are something in particular. Uh-huh. You know, there there are a lot of there's a lot of different types of volatile acids. Um, you know, there's acetic acid, there's there's other volatile acids, and you can say it's that. there is a scientific definition definition for most of the things that you're going to smell and and if you get someone says
0: i've never smelled like this before in all the wines i've tried yeah what would you say to that person i I say
1: isn't that interesting
0: right okay well fair enough but that's what you say you say yeah i say isn't that interesting
1: and then if you you know if they really engage you talk to them about the way that it's made and you tell them that there's nothing added in it except for grapes Mm -hmm. and i think that that Basic fact is something that a lot of people respond to. Sure. And they say, wow, maybe what I'm tasting in a lot of other wines Isn't is stuff grapes. that's not grapes. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is, you know, like right. um, sulfur is not only a preservative, sulfur has a taste. It has a, an acidic tinge to it. Sure. Um, it, so it really changes the complexity of a wine, the, the nature of a wine that changes the way acid tastes because it is acidic. Um there's, you know, a lot of all of the, the thickeners and all the other the bullshit that gets added to wines, obviously, too, has has, you know, its effect and its place in wine. So. Um, so, yeah, so the, you, I either go with, a, you know, a, an actual scientific discussion about what is in it mm-hmm. or you or you just go to the, the basic fact that, you know, maybe what you're tasting normally is not actually wine. Got it. And who's inspiring you right now? I mean, besides the
0: growers, I know we've talked somewhat about, but like who, who is kind of like, man, that's that guy, I, I dig what he's doing. Um, who is inspiring me right now? Or girl, could be, you know. Who is out, out there in the market that's like making things happen a little bit?
1: Um, are we saying in America or are we saying Either in way. France? Yeah. Um, who should people be kind of like, wow, there's something happening there. I think people should go chill out at Ten Bells for a while. Uh huh. Which because, is, uh, down Lower East Side, yeah, of Manhattan. Yeah. And, and it's not, and it's not necessarily for the spirit of, uh, that they sell a lot of natural wines. They do. But what they bring to it is like a real joy of wine, a real pleasure of drinking wine, which I think is the most important thing.
0: So having a good time is kind of part of the thing. Yeah. It shouldn't be some other kind of experience besides enjoying. Well, it. I mean, that's just, that. that's what inspires me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I'm you not, know, I'm not saying it should or shouldn't be any type of experience. Because sometimes you
0: hear like, oh, you need to learn more about this before you can appreciate it. But what you're really saying is... I think is... that's
1: bullshit. I think if, you, if it's not enjoyable, I think if it's not like visceral, I think if it's not like something that like moves you. This is a sensory thing. Yeah, it's a sensory like. thing. You taste it, you smell it. It's full of alcohol, you get drunk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's the a, a big part of it is is laughing and being connected you know, with the people around you, uh, by the wines that you're drinking and when you're drinking them and talking about them and, and, you know, and a great thing about those guys at Tembels, uh, Fifi and Jorge and all those dudes is a lot of, they've spent a lot of time in, in France and Europe tasting with these growers. And so, you know, you can taste any wine in that place and they'll tell you a story about, you know, last time they're drinking with them and you, you really get closer to the vigneron. And I, I think that's great. And I think that's something about the, the kind of baravan culture in Paris that's nice is those guys generally know the growers and have their experience with them. There is that community and yeah. it's a real thing. Yeah. And, and you're just, as a consumer, you're just one step closer to the, to the vigneron, which I think is in the end, one of the most important things about enjoying wine.
0: So how are you going about engaging people besides answering the phone? Are you uh, involved with social media at all? are you writing a little bit? You know,
1: I have a Facebook page. I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet very much. Um, so, right. coffee. I'm having coffee yeah. right now. You know, I can post pictures about like a vineyard, like all, all vineyards are pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, sure. you know, I can post pictures, some barrels, like they look like barrels. The barrels. You so know, like. wood in a curve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a bunch of barrels. You've seen this picture before. Seen this picture before. I mean, yeah. You know, I could post what I'm drinking so that, you know, people could understand a profile of what I like, but like, whatever, I don't care. People just do whatever they like. I I would love to. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm in a long and stalled process on working on my website, which, which in my, uh, my vision of its future is something that has a lot of information about how the producer works, their size, the great varieties that they work with, the, you know, their, their backgrounds, their philosophies on Um, so you, you know, want to get the details out there. Yeah. I want to get the details out there and let people taste and if they're saying, oh, that's really neat that they could Google it and then maybe, you know, find out some interesting information about the people that would be a nice way to, you know, get the consumer again closer to the vineyard. But, um, yeah, so, but uh, you know, pretty busy dude. So I haven't, yeah. Well, you're in
0: Europe a lot.
1: If I can, I mean, you're like four months the... a
0: year. Foremost, and, so almost half the year you're
1: Yeah, and then um you know, and I do all the buying. Not not necessarily just the choosing, but I mean like the, the inventory management and all that. And I and I do, you know, eighty percent of the selling. Uh so, so yeah, I work a lot. But That's- but I I it is a major priority for me to uh to get some good information about the, the domains out there on the internet and accessible in, in English. Uh, way. Because most of the producers we work with do have websites, but they're mostly in French. Got it. And do
0: you see consumers really have an interest in bridging that gap between their distance from the grower and really going, meeting growers or hearing more about them?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's a big culture of uh, of wine tourism. People like to do that. People like to visit wineries. Uh, and, and I think that people, again, the reason that the market facilitates so many tens of thousands of labels is because of the humanity of it and i think people like being human and i think people like when other people are humans diversity and i think that includes diversity and i think that includes people wanting to know about the people that make the products and 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 i think that's a minority group of people that really have that interest obviously the the commercial aspect of food production and wine production is 99% of you know uh, any of those markets but there's a niche number of people that really like the the, to know where their stuff comes from. And I think those people, yeah, want to get a little bit closer.
0: So there's a lot of angles that you could have taken to engage with wine. Uh, you could have worked retail. You could have worked in the restaurant industry, which you did for a little while. But why did you choose to take on the import route? I mean, what spoke to you about that way of engaging
1: with the growers? Um, you know, I think it was more... I, I, I really think that you can do like significant work in wine from all sorts of different positions, um, and have, you know, and really enjoy it in a lot of ways. I think I went the import route really because of the profile of the job. Got it. Um, and I really like to be in Europe. Travel. Yeah. I really like to travel, you know, I really like to do that kind of thing. I also, you know, was worked in restaurants and was sort of tired of, you know, I don't like to shave, uh-huh. you know, I, I don't, I don't Clearly. like to wear things. Whatever, today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- it was, it was something of a lifestyle decision. Um, you know, I, when I was doing it, I was, I, I really had a great client base that was willing to give me some money to do something that I really believed in. And I was really struggling between opening a, a small restaurant and, uh, and doing this importing thing and really a lot of it had to do just with the lifestyle of it got it and,
0: and would you recommend that
1: lifestyle to other people looking for adventure and it, you know it's not really like that it's not you so know so it's not all there, there's and of course not yeah drinking
0: in the vine. of course
1: not i mean if you think that like yeah clearly There's a few there's, forms there's to fill definitely out. like a little bit of that but i don't that's not that easy you know it's a lot of long driving it's a lot of like you know, when I'm in Europe tasting wine, I mean, you know, if we see, you know, there's there's often like six, seven hour drives between places. We get mm-hmm. up, it's early in the morning I and mean, you drink till late, but you know, you, you get up early. It's hard. You know, when I come back from those trips, like I really need a couple of days just to, just to relax. Got it. Um, and really the job, the majority of the job is selling wine, which is hard, you know, like you really have to pound the pavement. You really have to be out there all the time. You really have to show wine all the time and to manage the money of it, to manage the inventory of it, to, uh, to manage the sales of it is, is a lot of work that is not really whiny. You know, it's not about like the, uh, 90% of the job is not about the passion of wine. It's about the, the logistics and the, the nature of, of making it all work. So. Um, what is a good day in the business? What's a day where you're like, we really did something there? Um, I guess for me, there's two types of days. There's the days when, uh, when I'm in Europe and I tasted with somebody and you get that euphoric feeling after leaving a domain where you're, you're like, wow, that was an amazing tasting and I'm so lucky to be able to, to buy these wines and bring those to the market. And I can't wait. And there's that feeling of, like, of real excitement that you're going to be able to translate something to somebody that was a a true experience. So that's definitely an amazing day. And then there's the day, the other for me, because as as a wine salesperson, don't know if everybody knows this, you basically take four or six wines or whatever in a bag and you walk around uh, whatever your market is and you open the wines and you pour them for lots of different types of buyers. For me, a great day here in America is a day when the wines taste good to me. When there's a whole bag full of wines that taste good to me. So it's all, it's all, it's made it to this side. It's made it to the side and they really taste the way that like, I, I remember them. They taste the way that like. So back to that. And not whether or not people like them really so much because oftentimes people don't. But you know, if they, if they taste the way that, you know, I know that they should taste and they don't always, but when they really like, when the bottles are screaming, when they're really singing, that's a nice day.
0: Have you made mistakes Are the things you, you think back and you're like, man, I wish
1: somebody had told me about that because that was sort of a bummer. Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely made lots of mistakes. I'm trying to think of like one that I could say is really important. You know, I've made, I've made lots of, you know, financial mistakes in terms of, you know, I, I wish I had done a little bit more research about the the way that logistics work. Got it. Works before I jumped into it, uh, cause I lost a lot of money doing that. I wish I had learned a little bit more about licensing and things like that because I paid a lot of legal fees that I didn't need to and I didn't pay the legal fees I needed to pay. So there was, there was, a bunch of things like that that I, that were really important. Um, I think in terms of wine, you know, what can you say? You go on your own journey. You know, I've definitely bought wines that were, that I later didn't like. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that I've passed on wines that I, I would have loved to have gotten when I had the opportunity, but that's just, that's just life.
0: That's the name of the game. That's
1: just the nature of reality and the world and everything. I mean, you're going to make those mistakes and you're going to, and you, and equally, if you, you know, work well, I think you're going to fall lucky on things. Well, it seems like you've been lucky more times than that. Oh, you know, you you don't see the bad ones.
0: Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Levy.